Hey, what's going on? It's Kramer. The uh, show is coming up. I got to tell you, I am so happy and so proud to have the Enclosed on as a sponsor. Uh, it's something that I've been using, and I got to tell you, it is so cool. If you are the kind of guy who, um, you know, to be nice or to, you know, for a special event, an anniversary, a birthday, if you send flowers, get out of the habit of doing that because it's so cliche. If you go to theenclosed.com, you can browse all these awesome, through all these awesome pairs of panties. Um, everything from really hot, sexy, not safe for work panties uh, to panties that you know she'll wear every day that are really comfortable. And here's what here's what they do: they send her uh, every month for one month, three months, six months, nine months, twelve months, uh, whatever you prefer. They send her the panties in this sleek black box, and inside are the panties and rose petals. So she gets this thing in the mail, she opens up the black box and rose petals fall out, and your panties, and of course, a personalized note from you. Really cool for any occasion. It's so cool. Look at that. I'm looking at the website right now. Look at that. I mean, that's classy, but it's also fun and sexy all at the same time. When you order... Use the code Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R, Kramer, and that gets you $25 off any multi-month order. The enclosed.com. This is The Kramer Show. Activate. This is Kramer Uncut. Raw, honest, and real. All right, I'm just going to roll with this today. Uh, today's show, I'm going to tell you right up front, uh, is going to be more of a serious tone uh, of a show, and it will be, in, in a lot of ways, a more personable, personal show uh, than I normally do. And this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately. By the way, welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Creamer. Um, creamershow.net is the website, Creamer Radio for Twitter and Facebook. And um, by the way, just a quick mention, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, do me a favor and rank the show. Give me five stars. That helps us move up in the um, in the iTunes world. Um, I met a guy about a month ago. Uh, we crossed paths because uh, he works with an organization um here where i where i live called the team recovery his name is josh and what he is is basically an outreach specialist uh for people who are hooked on heroin and he and i met and uh and I, I told him, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And he was like, oh, yeah. So we, so he and the people that he was with, we started having this really in-depth, serious, long conversation about addiction. And I got to tell you, when I, I was an alcoholic for years, and eight years ago, I finally got sober. And I'm going to talk a little bit about... Uh, my personal journey, and my hope is, is that I want to be as raw as, and as real as I can possibly be on this show. And if you know someone who is suffering from any kind of addiction, 
I want you to please give them this show because I'm not doing this show now for you know to get ratings or to get people to listen to it. I want to do a show specifically talking to people who are going through addiction. And I want you, if they're going through really tough, hardcore addiction, I want you to give them my show today, please. Because I'm going to be as real and as raw as I can possibly be. Yeah, like eight years ago, I finally got sober. And, um, I, you know, in order to get sober, I tried for, you know, a couple of years to get sober. And I couldn't. Um, so I had friends that were, you know, saying, hey, go see a psychologist. So I went to see a psychologist that did nothing for me at all. Uh, and I had people that were saying, hey, go to AA. Um, and I read a lot about AA. So I read about it and I went to a couple of meetings and I was like, absolutely not. It's, it's not for me. Um, and AA doesn't have to be for everybody. Um, I found that um, going to AA meetings was just really depressing uh, more than it was anything. Um, and sure, there are people there that get it who... When you say, yeah, I stayed drunk for two weeks solid and the, the only thing I ate during the whole time was an orange, the, they get it. You know, they've been there. Shit like that. So I, you know, got into radio in my early 20s and by my mid 20s, the radio career kind of took off. And uh, I went, I moved to Tampa, Florida. And I worked for a top 40 station there, and uh, it was the biggest top four, one of the biggest top 40 radio stations in America, let alone uh, in Tampa. And you're talking about a guy who had grown up in Winterboro and Talladega, Alabama. I'd never been anywhere, really. Uh, and I, I certainly had never lived in a big city. And to me, Tampa was a, was a huge city. So when I went there part of my job description was to go out to nightclubs uh after my show and i you know i would get off the air at say 10 i'd be at the nightclub by 11 and i would stay there until three and i did that you know for for many years but um that was my job like like probably four times a week i was in nightclubs for the radio station and it became to be and it became this thing where it wasn't just uh for work you know like if, if i had the night off i'd go to the bar uh and I, and I had never really drank a whole lot in my life but i was really starting to get into it and when you go to these clubs <clears throat> you know it's so loud and people are obnoxious and uh it really pushes you into to drinking hold on and it started out with beer and then it worked its way into uh, into liquor, and um, you know it, it became where um, I started getting panic attacks years later, um, and had no idea that the booze was the cause of that. It's funny because I was in um, uh, I worked at a talk station in Detroit, and we had just started the show, and uh, I went into the bathroom. 
And, um, you know, it was our first commercial break of the day and I went into the bathroom and I'm standing there peeing and all of a sudden I feel like the, the, uh, the world is coming to an end and like all the oxygen is being sucked out of the room and, and, you know, and I just started really freaking out and I had a major panic attack and it, 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 it rocked me. And I felt like I couldn't breathe, and I went. So I went into the studio, and I got my bag, and without saying a word, I left the radio station. So my phone starts ringing, and uh, it's you know the producer, the phone screener, and everybody's like freaking out. And uh, I was like, guys, I had I had a panic attack. I'm still having it, and I'm 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 driving my car, and I'm shaking. My body's shaking. My hands are shaking. So um. What do I do? I stop off at a liquor store and get a six-pack, and I'm drinking in the car on the way back to my apartment. I'm like, I am falling apart. Here it is, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, and I can't even, you know, I can't even finish a day of work because I'm having a panic attack. Well, at that time, the drinking had gotten really bad. Every night, I would drink uh, until I was shit faced, uh, and then I would fall asleep, and then I would wake up the next day and go to work. And I never missed work because of drinking. I don't know how. I guess you know. I guess I. I guess I guess in the back of my head, I just I promised myself that okay, I'm going to allow you to drink and get just fucking wasted. But the deal is, you do not get to miss work, no matter what, no matter how hard it hurts. No matter how fucked up you get, uh, you're going to go to work. And I really did keep, you know, that promise to myself 99% of the time. But when you drink or when you do any drugs, uh, it starts destroying your nerves and your nerves get out of whack. So after you have your first panic attack, a lot of times you almost talk yourself into having a panic attack um, just remembering the way that felt and what happened. And as you drink, that shit gets more and more and more common. So uh, in my professional life, I moved from, at that time, from Detroit to Orlando. Now, here's where it gets fucked up. I, um, you know, we started doing a morning show. So now I'm having to wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. But I, I get off and be home by about 11 o'clock in the morning, noon at the latest. So I'd get home, I'd fire up something on the grill, and I'd start drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning. And so by, you know, 5 or 6, I'm good and wasted. So then I go to bed, and then I can actually get up at like 3 o'clock. So I changed my whole schedule. So I'm drinking at this point, you know, um, uh, my radio partner and I are not really getting along very well. Uh, and I think, you know, pr- at that point he pretty much knew the deal. I don't think I ever sat down with him and told him, Hey, uh, this drinking thing is getting out of hand. I think he pretty much just knew, uh, I had an agent at the time. Uh, he was calling me. He's like, Hey, What's going on with you? Uh, everybody's worried. People are talking. And that was the first time that it really started uh, piling on and doing some damage. And Howard Stern, um, 
got fired from Clear Channel, and he was owned, his show was owned by CBS. So when he got fired, I knew, well, if Clear Channel fired him, they're going to put him on CBS here, and the only signal that would make sense would be our radio station. So I know what's happening. Um, I had been unhappy with my uh, my career, the way I'd been treated in my career, uh, plus, and I'd been that way for a couple of years, and I wasn't exactly happy with the direction of the show, and I was, I you know, I probably uh, was depressed. Um, my wife and I had just had a baby, and without calling anyone, I quit the radio station. <clears throat> I hated it. I hated everything about it. Um, here's what happens when you are an addict and you're going through something in life. Everything is all the emotion, all the negativity, all of that is doubled. When you, when, when you go through something bad in your life, if you're using or if you're drinking, you think those things, the drugs, the booze is helping you. In actuality, it only doubles the effect of the shittiness. And you don't realize that because you're drinking and you just think that's how you naturally normally would feel. Very untrue. So I quit and I went on probably about a month long binge of drinking. Uh, hardly ate anything. It caused me to have panic attacks every hour. I couldn't sleep. I probably did not sleep. I probably slept maybe two hours in about in like a month's time. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I had voices in my head. It was uh, crazy. When you don't eat and you're only and all you're doing is drinking, there's no exercise. <laughs> I mean, your body starts breaking down. I had to call my mother. I said, Mom, uh, I I can sit here and I can talk to you for an hour or more about what's going on with me, but I, I, I don't want to do that. I want you to come here. I need you. So my, my mother and my family come to Orlando, physically drive me back home to where uh, I lived back in Alabama, and um, we paid to have a moving company get my stuff and I probably spent about a month trying to wean myself off of booze. And I have never in my life gone through so much hell. I can't tell you what that does to your body, what it does to your soul, uh, to your, uh, you know, um, your spirit. I mean, it is unbelievable. It is truly you know, my wife was there during the whole time, and um, I tried to explain it to her. It's like living in a in a hurricane constantly. You're hearing voices. You know your your body is shutting down. Uh, you think any moment you're gonna die. Uh, you, you know you start to be paranoid. You think you know the government's gonna come in, and you know I mean you you're literally crazy. It makes you absolutely crazy. So after that, I thought, well, I'm never going to go through that again. So uh, I quit quit drinking. 
Um, got a great job in Little Rock, Arkansas, working for a great boss, a guy, a friend of mine. Um, went there, and um, eventually, after about another year, started drinking again. Uh, and then that moment... Uh, got fired, not for you know drinking or anything, but got fired. Moved to uh, St. Louis, to still continued to drink <laughs> like a dumbass. So you get the you get the gist, the cycle. So while I'm uh, an alcoholic for all these years, I uh, I'm 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 going through life outside of alcoholism. I'm having a career. I'm having relationships. I get married. I have my son. Had my son in uh, 2004. So all all during all this, I'm again. I'm trying to go through life, and it's not hitting me that hey, you're getting older. You're starting to have these these really serious moments. You need to concentrate on your career. You need to concentrate on being a father. You need to concentrate on being a husband. None of that really hit me. I think. Um, drinking was almost somehow a mechanism to cope with the stress of any kind of life that I was having. What I'm getting at is I I, I wound up having to go to the hospital a couple of times when I was in St. Uh, St. Louis. And, um, you know, eventually you, you wind up drinking yourself to the point of, you know, you're, you're dehydrated, you, 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 um, your heart starts shutting down. Your kidneys start shutting down. Your liver is like, hey, fuck off. So uh, the first time I went to the hospital, um, they gave me Ativan. And they put and they and then they, they put me into the hospital. My nerves were just raging. And they put me into the heart unit. And he's like, dude, if you continue this, you, eventually you're just, you know, you're just going to die. He's like, you just cannot do this anymore. You're not... You know, you're not 19. So I thought, okay, I got it. Wound up going to the hospital like two more times. And here's what hit me. I I think everybody has to have a moment where somebody says something and it clicks. Now, it can be a lot of things. It can be, and I will say, uh, religion, God, did play a part in my recovery but here's how crazy it all is one person said what do you, he asked me what do you care about and i i was like you know when i drink i don't care about anything and he said you have to care about something and for whatever reason when he said that that clicked with me because in the back of my head I, when I would drink, I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a shit. I don't care about anybody. I don't care about anything. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <clears throat> and so when I would drink, I would just be like, fuck you. Fuck off. Fuck everybody. Fuck it. Fuck it. And when he said that, it really did click into my head that, yeah, let's get back to being yourself. There are things that you absolutely do care about more than anything in the world, more than drinking. And that is your son, your wife, your family. That's those those things in pretty much in that order are the reasons that I wound up truly stopping drinking. Here's the here's the 
thing that I, I the, the one thing I want to get across more than anything in this whole thing, and 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 I just gave you a twenty minute synopsis of my addiction to get to this point to say something to you, and that is is no matter what your path in life, no matter where you are, no matter what it is that you want to achieve, no matter who's been bad to you in the past, no matter what your family life is like, none of that, none of none of those terrible things, no matter what has happened to you, no matter who you are, where you're from, your ethnicity, your religion, no matter what, you have so much happiness on the other side. You don't even know how much happiness you have on the other side. When I uh, when I moved back home, um, my mother lived out. She lives out in the country. She lives out in the middle of nowhere, and there is a uh, a road that goes. Um, I don't know. Probably winds around about three miles. And it's a back road, and there's never any cars on there, and there's very few homes over there. And so after I'd moved back, I, I'd take walks by myself and. I would have, I'm being really open. I don't talk about this very, very often. Um, I'd take walks by myself and I'd walk on that road. It's an old road. Some of the pavement, you know, is torn up and just an old rickety road. And there's fields all over the place and there's cows and stuff and really pretty land. But every day I would, I would take a... a couple of times a day, usually, uh, I'd take a walk, and on those walks, I would talk to God. And the things that were that would come out of me about my life were, were really telling. It's kind of like if you, if you keep a journal and you just write down certain, you know, at certain moments of the day, and you, you get that shit out of you. Now, I don't know if this is something that, that'll be therapeutic for everybody, but it, it certainly, certainly was for me. I would I would say whatever was on my mind, and I would talk to God like he was a man, and I would say, you know, you have not been there for me. This happened, that happened, you know, and I've tried to be a good person, and I have did this, I did that, and here I am, unemployed, walking down the road by my mother and I and I and I would notice like I would get more and more angry as the days went by and I I, I wouldn't say I was angry at God I was just kind of letting it out I, I mean it I guess what see I don't want this to sound like you know some bible thumper or something because that's not what it was it was just getting out all of this stuff that was in me you know like I, it's probably it would probably be really healthy for for people to go <clears throat> to a psychologist or a psychologist and, and get get all this stuff out because you know as we go through life we collect baggage and it's there and it's shit that you don't even think about like you know when I was sixteen my mom said this and and it hurt my feelings and you know as you're getting all that out that shit is in your head it's in it's part of you so. I really did learn that alcoholism and all that crazy shit were intertwined. And I didn't even realize that. And I wound up finding that out on my own. And that is when 
I really started to kind of break down, and and I and I believe that everybody has to do that. You have to kind of break down what it, what is the real reason you're using drugs or, or you're you know drinking so much. What is the reason? It may start out like as a fun thing or whatever, but eventually over the years it becomes more and more of a need and it becomes more and more part of your coping mechanism for other fucked up shit in your life. Now, having said that, that sounds really f- heavy. It sounds really deep. But here's the key. When you realize all those other things that are fucked up in your head, you know, and hey, it's cool to be fucked up. It's okay. We all are fucked up in some way. You are not alone, my friend. We, every single person that's walking, no matter who they are, no matter where they are in their life, no matter how much you think they've got it together, they are fucked up. Everybody, everybody is fucked up in some way. So you are no different than than some guy walking down the street wearing a, a, a $300, $500 suit. You're no different. He's just, you know, he's in a different place in his life, and that's cool. But what, but what you have to realize is that, A, we're all the same, we're all fucked up, and B, whatever the addiction, no matter what it is, booze, alcohol, uh, pot, heroin, coke, no matter what, it is nothing. It's nothing. It really isn't. You'll find that as you start getting all your shit out of your head and you get honest and you get real that the boo, like I can go to a bar now. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I mean, I know I'm not going to drink. I don't, I don't need it. It's, it, it is, it's the death of me and it, it is the devil. I, I get it <clears throat> and knock on wood. I'll never do it again ever because it will kill me. Um, so to me, it's nothing. Fuck it. So like if I have to go with a radio station and go to a bar or something and there are people drinking, I don't miss it. I don't miss it one bit. I don't, it doesn't make me think, wow, I sure wish I could drink. Never. So there's a couple things here. You, first of all, you have to know that what you're going through, you are no different than anybody else that's going through life. Stop whining. Just because uh, you've had some bad moments in your life uh, and you chose to drink does not make you uh, any. See, alcohol alcoholics are whiners. They're babies. They want to be. They want people to tell them that it's going to be okay. Well, it's not going to be okay if you keep drinking. It's not going to be okay. You're going to keep getting fucked up. You're going to go down the wrong path again and again and again and again. It's never going to get any better. So fuck you and fuck your whining. Stop drinking. Stop doing drugs. Uh, no matter what you have to do, go get the help. You're going to wind up killing yourself. Or you're going to kill someone else. Sorry. That's just the way it is. B start thinking about it. Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, I talked to a comic recently. She was raped when she was a little girl. She was repeatedly raped by her father. And I said, Oh my God. Um, I, I mean, how, how have you gotten through that? She goes, it ain't no big thing. And what I got, what I took from that was exactly how I felt about alcohol. It was a big thing uh, it, it, for a while. It, it fucked with you, and you didn't own it and didn't win it until you said, it ain't no big thing. Fuck it. I can't let something control me for my whole life, or I'm going to be robbed of my happiness. 
You have to drop all the shit, but you got to get it out. Have I made any sense? Please tell me I've made some kind of sense. I I sat here, I freeformed, I just let it all out. Hopefully, cosmically, that made some kind of sense to someone somewhere. When people say stupid shit, stupid shit, we're there every step of the way. Wouldn't it be great if somebody running for office said something, we could have an immediate reaction as to whether it was true or not? Well, we've trained this dog, and the dog, if it's not true, he's going to bark. I'm trying to figure out how we could do that with the Republicans. You know, we need, we need to get that dog and follow, follow them around, and every time they say these things, like, oh, you know, the Great Recession was caused by too much regulation. You know? Sucking the brain cells right out of your head. This is The Kramer Show on KramerShow.net. Let me tell you about our sponsor. I love them, TheEnclosed.com. Go to TheEnclosed.com and do something really special uh, for your woman. It's very easy to use. It's a website. They sell panties. And I'm looking at some of them now. Look at these. Um, Go to... um, uh, they have uh, sexy and romantic panties. They have uh, some boy shorts. They have bikinis. They have um, ties and bows. And then they have ultra sexy panties. Uh, not safe for work ultra sexy panties, which uh, I must say are my favorite. Look at her. <laughs> I just kind of like to browse the site because, hey, look, there's a woman's ass. Uh, that's just me. I'm terrible. Anyway, you go to the site, and what they do is you sign your woman up for uh, the Panty of the Month Club, essentially. Uh, one month, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And um, they send their, they send her the panties in this really cool, sleek black box. Inside the box is a note from you, uh, the panties, and rose petals. And I think it's really cool because it's a, it's a really different idea uh, it's creative. It's I'm, I sent my uh, my wife a pair, and her response when she opened it up was so incredible. And I wish I had recorded it, videotaped it because it was so awesome. She was like, "Oh my god!" And she really freaked out. The reaction you're gonna get when your girl opens up this box—that's the last thing that she thinks is gonna happen. That uh, rose petals and panties are gonna come out, and. And not only is it creative, it's fun, and it's hot, because you get to pick out what your uh, woman is going to wear. Look at that. Um, we're talking like, like uh, the, the str- what do you call that? The, the, they have these, I guess that's a string bikini type of panty right there, where it kind of cradles the rear end. It's um, the Whiskey Collins. That's what I'm looking at. The Whiskey Collins. Go and check that out. Very cool. Another cool thing is when you, and the Red Cosmo, look at that. And the double shot. The Red Rum Daisy, I love those. Look at that. Hmm. I love this site. I'm so I'm so pumped that they're on board with us. I am so excited. Uh, when you order, use the code Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R, and you get 25 bucks off your order. Theenclosed.com. It isn't politically correct. It's just 
Correct. Correct. The Kramer Show. Kramer Show. The Kramer Show. Uh, do you guys know who Luke Bryan is? Luke Bryan is this country guy, and um, he's doing a show down here where I'm where I am, and um, in our downtown area, his uh, 18-wheeler came through town this morning. And women in the office went out there to take pictures of his equipment, 18-wheeler. You know, it hauls all the shit. And these these country artists nowadays, man, they've got, they have the 18-wheelers. They got their, their you know, and they, and they look like models, these country dudes. And so they put their picture on the side of it. And these women eat it up. You're talking about new panties. These women need new panties because they just came all in their fucking panties. They see these guys, these country guys, man. I'm telling you, the country guys are the ones that are getting the ass. It ain't, it ain't the rock dudes. It ain't the rock dudes. Boy, I, I don't know. I, I would love to do a show. I don't know who with. Who would be good um, to talk about music and the, and the de-evolution and the declining nature of rock? Name me a band in the past 10 years who's came out that has any kind of star power. Name me a, ba- a rock band that has come out in the past 10 years that could s- sell out a stadium. Name me one. I bet you if you if we were to get a country guy in here, I could get our um, our country program director. He could probably name off dozens of country acts that have come out in the past 10 years that could sell out stadiums. They, they sell albums. They sell hard copies, the digital, the merchandising. Fucking belt buckles, <laughs> license plates. Luke Bryan's probably got his own beef jerky line out. They do it, man. They've tapped into something. What is it? I wish I were so smart that I could actually, I could, I could be able to tell what happened to rock music. Now, yeah, I mean, we've got like Guns N' Roses and that shit, and you could call the Rolling Stone if you wanted. You could call Rolling Stones a rock act. But, I mean, we, those really, I mean, Guns N' Roses is an oldie. 1993 was the last that they did anything. I mean, that's a long, long time. Name me a band, a rock band, in the past 10 years who is going to be a legendary band. Name me one. I mean, I'm in rock radio, and I can't name one. They they just they don't have the what the star quality they just it's not there. What happened? I mean I've talked about this a million times. I mean there are bands that have been out there that have the same sound, you know the same sound that they've had for years and years and years doesn't change album to album it's the same shit. And I you know the on the, I think on the last show I was talking about the Foo Fighters and how the Foo Fighters uh, get on stage and they have a great time. And it's all, um, you know, it's not mean and mad and pissed off. And they get up there and they act like that's, you know, the, the place that they want to be when they're on stage. And I think that's a large part of it. You know, I, okay, I, I would say the Foo Fighters, but we're not talking. We're, we're talking the last 10 years. Na- okay, here's maybe a, a different way to phrase it. Name me a band that's on the Foo Fighters level that's only 10 years old. Can't do it. If the I will say, if the Foo Fighters had an 18-wheeler that drove through downtown, there'd be people out there taking pictures of it because people love the Foo Fighters. 
Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's just, you know, the nice guy thing. You know, when people are not attracted to the, the down and out, mean, angry, I'm pissed off person anymore. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Um, what else is up? Johnny Manziel. God damn it. Fucking Johnny Manziel. Fucking Johnny Manziel. Fucking Johnny Manziel. What is this guy's problem? You know, I was talking about my alcoholism earlier. Some, somebody has got to get through to this fucking guy or it's over. He's out. He's living in L.A. with Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon is a, a receiver for the Browns. They uh, they tested Josh Brown uh, about a week ago, and it came back that not only did he have uh, marijuana in his system, he had the shit called dilute, which is something that you take to hide stuff. So that was in his system. So now he's been suspended, and he may be fired eventually. So Josh Gordon and Johnny Menzel, I guess, have a house or an apartment or something together out in L.A., and all they're doing is partying. Somebody's got to get Josh Gordon away from Johnny Menzel, because all Johnny Menzel wants to do uh, is bang chicks and drink. That's all Johnny Menzel's concerned with. Somebody told me that Johnny Menzel's parents are really well off. They're rich. Is that true? Like, do they have fuck you money? I asked the guy, I said, is it fuck you money? And he said, yeah, it's fuck you money. So maybe Johnny Manziel just really doesn't give a fuck. You know, and, and if you're Josh Gordon, then it's, you know, time to get a fucking away from uh, Johnny football because he is Johnny, you know, marijuana right now. That's all. That's uh, John, Johnny waiter. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Johnny Manziel is. Johnny Bartender. <laughs> Johnny clean up on aisle four. <laughs> that is all he's doing. His agent dropped him today, too, or recently. Yeah, according to ESPN, Drew Rassen, Rossenhaus informed the Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel that he has ended their representation agreement but will reverse his decision if the quarterback corrects his off-field behavior. Uh, said, I've terminated the standard representation with Johnny Manziel in the hopes of helping him get the treatment I believe he needs. I've informed him that if he takes the immediate steps I've outlined for him, that I will rescind the termination and continue to represent him. Otherwise, the termination will become permanent. There's a five-day window for me to rescind the termination. I'm hoping he... Oh, wow. He, he only gave him five days. This was yesterday. So he's got by when, like Monday, to to make a decision whether he's going to get his shit straight. And I, you know, I don't know Johnny Manziel personally. I, all I know is what you know, probably from you know seeing interviews and stuff. Uh, and he's probably a good, decent dude. Just you know, he's he's a little young pissant who you know can't handle it. And and I understand that. I really do. Because like. He's that's on such another level. I can't even imagine. But radio fucked me up. You know, radio and going out into clubs and chicks coming on to you and stuff because, you know, of who you are just by being on the radio in, in Florida. So I can't even imagine what it's fucking like actually having, you know, and two, I made good money, but I wasn't a millionaire by no means. So I can't imagine being, you know, a good looking guy playing for a sports team. Everybody knows you. You got money. Uh, that has to screw with you. It really has to screw with you. Um, and I know that the NBA does this. I don't know about the NFL, but the NBA, though, when, you, when you're a rookie, 
<clears throat> they send you off to a camp. I mean, they send you off to like fucking Montana or somewhere, and you got a week, and they teach you how to handle your finances, how you handle the press, how you handle when chicks come on to you, what to say, what not to say, uh, what what to say, what not to say when you get pulled over, all that shit. They teach you how to do that. And I don't know that the NFL has a program like that, but I remember years ago seeing that, like on 60 Minutes or 2020 or one of those. I wish I had had somebody to sit me down and fucking, you know, tell me I wasn't, you know, oh my God, the egos. And, you know, that's a major part of it, too. That ego starts playing uh, around with you, too. Mm. Oh, God damn it. This, this is how bad heroin has gotten. This is a news story. Um, and I think it's, I want to say it's in Ohio. Check this out. Some disturbing video just into our newsroom that really tells the story of heroin addiction. It really makes you shake your head and look twice, specifically the complacency of heroin's dangers because of life-saving Narcan. Nine on your side's Julie O'Neill has the startling video and reaction to it. This video just in from our Cleveland station where authorities are shaking their heads after management from McDonald's turns this over to them. It seemed just as normal as a quick bite at Mickey's. Only management of this McDonald's in the Cleveland area caught a couple snorting heroin right there in their booth. Moments later, he's slumped over and you see her pulling out a syringe to administer Narcan after a couple of minutes bringing him back to life. Fuck. It's so prevalent that somebody feels comfortable being in a public restaurant in the middle of an afternoon to ingest it to inject it, whatever way they did it, and then overdose, and then have the means to save themselves. Or This is so fucked up, it's a video, and it shows him, uh, both of them snorting heroin, and he overdoses right there in fucking McDonald's. They're doing it right there in front of everybody. And he overdoses. She takes over a syringe of Narcan and pumps it into him and brings him back to, you know, to life or whatever right there that's how fucked up and i the heroin thing is really look it up in your county no matter where you are uh look it up and you will see a rise it's it's up everywhere man and um it's i guess it's getting cheaper and it's getting easier easier to get wow that's that's insanity the kramer show podcast what's going on in there have a comment call the voicemail 419-777-1121. This is the Kramer Show. This is simple. Join us or pursue your present course and face obliteration.